I'm Alicia Mikolajsik Kurtz, and welcome to Real Talk, a place where doctors and other healthcare professionals share stories about their real human experiences working in medicine. On today's episode, we'll hear a story from Lisa Mills, an emergency doctor at UC Davis. Lisa recorded her story live at a regional women's retreat here in Sacramento. It's the new year. Traditionally, a time for taking a good, hard look at ourselves in the mirror to identify those things that need some work. What is it we should focus on changing to really be the best version of ourselves? Of course, most people aim to take better care of their bodies, to abandon long-standing bad habits, to improve some desirable skill, or cross something off that old bucket list. But... What if the thing we need to change isn't something we're super aware of? What if it's implicit? Not something we can see when we look in the mirror, but something demonstrated in our attitudes, inherent in our system, pervasive in our culture. Like, for example, the way we perceive and treat women in medicine. And this isn't meant to be a discussion just for the ladies out there. In fact, it's equally, if not more important, for our male colleagues to think about it, too. It's pretty much common knowledge that women are treated differently than men in positions of authority. But do we realize on a day-to-day basis what that actually means for our female colleagues? Women doctors are literally promoted less, paid less money, given less autonomy during their training, they experience more scrutiny on their physical appearance, and they receive overall less support and encouragement at work than their male counterparts. These are facts, demonstrated by study after study, and they're the harsh realities faced by women doctors, like me, every day when we go to work. And it's not just by strangers or members of an older generation who just aren't used to women being doctors or something like that. It's the staff other physicians in the hospital, male but especially female nurses, and honestly, other female doctors too. And I don't know that most people do it on purpose, but they absolutely do treat us differently. We as women treat each other differently. It's as if subconsciously we all think women don't naturally belong and there's not enough space for all of us that there is something wrong with women in medicine. This is Lisa's story. My father was an orphan, and he was raised by his uncle, who was a mechanic. So my father spent his childhood waking up in the middle of the night to help his uncle, who only had daughters before my father came along, help him tow cars off of Interstate 5, and spent his afternoons through his childhood working in the shop, working on cars and tractors. So by the time I came along, my father had put himself through college and was raising his family as a very accomplished mechanic. I spent my childhood helping him work on our own cars. So by the time I went to medical school, I was very comfortable with cars. Very comfortable, and some tractors too. (laughs) 
I went to a medical school that had an award-winning program. This program was so novel at the time, they placed first-year medical students in primary care clinics. No one else had done it. So off I went to my preceptor at my third week of medical school. And I saw a patient whose wife had brought him there because she noticed he was having cognitive decline. She was worried her husband has Alzheimer's and things were gonna change dramatically in their home. I listened and I heard a murmur, an aortic stenosis murmur. When the preceptor and I came back to the room, I asked him, how do you approach this with a patient who clearly has some form of cognitive decline, but also a life-limiting diagnosis with a terrible prognosis at the time? And he said to me, that's the problem with women in medicine. You don't understand cars, so you can't understand the human body. And I sat across from him, and I thought, I do understand cars. <laughs> right? I do. So I didn't like what he said. I didn't like it. I made an appointment with the director of the award-winning program, and I explained what had happened. And I said, I would like to go to a different clinic and have a different preceptor. And the director said no. She said to me, do you know how hard it is to find physicians who are willing to work with first-year medical students? You just have to go. All right, so I spent the next two decades internalizing that message, internalizing the problem with women in medicine. I was told I was too loud. I probably am. I was told I'm too bold. I'm too confident. I'm too decisive. I was told that I'm intimidating, and people would say, I'm scared of you. And this went on for a while, and I tried to change. I tried to change. I wanted so badly to be that person on rounds who was quiet. Oh, <laughs> I really wanted to be, um, but I couldn't change. I can only be this. I can only have curly hair. I've been told it's too curly, too big, too wild, but this is, this is it. This is all I can do. So about halfway into that second decade, some brave colleagues of mine started to come to me, and they said this individually, quietly in the hallway or a corner, I want to be like you. And I said, don't. <laughs> this is no fun. I'm in trouble all the time. But my colleagues persisted. And they said, I want, 
I want that confidence. I want to be bold, and I want to feel secure like you look. Which was so ironic, because I do not feel secure at all. And I realized that I wanted what they had, and they wanted what I had. Because none of us felt like we belonged. We were all getting some message, the problem with women in medicine. As I worked through this, I realized that this message is just oppressive. This constant criticism of me, this constant telling me I'm too bold, I'm too confident, my hair is too curly. <laughs> this is just oppression, it's bullying. There was no right answer for me. There's no way I could be that would work. And so I created my own message. I created the message that there's no problem with me. And I bring to you the message today that there is no problem with women in medicine. We're several years past the day that I decided that there's no problem with me, and I still hear that I'm intimidating and that people are scared of me. And people like to walk up and tell me right to my face, which is probably the worst decision. <laughs> <laughs> because I am scary. <laughs> and they do, and they come right up to me and they say, I'm intimidated by you. I'm scared of you. And now I have a new answer. Now I say, thank you for sharing that with me. We both are part of a culture that is not comfortable with strong women or professional women or women in leadership positions. And I say, I'm always struggling with this myself, and I appreciate you sharing your struggle with it. So much of Lisa's story resonates with me as a female physician. I cannot tell you the number of times I get mistaken for a nurse despite my white coat and a giant red sign that says doctor hanging under my name badge. Or the number of times I've been labeled the big bad B word for being stern and direct in moments of crisis while my male counterparts are seen as assertive and confident when they do the exact same thing. And like Lisa said, everyone wants women to be this same specific personality which it seems like none of us are. We are either too loud or we need to speak up more. We're too pushy or we're not assertive enough. Too chatty or not as social as a woman should be. We're judged on our clothes and our makeup and if our hair is too plain or too crazy and curly. And what people think of our personality and physical features literally translates to how much respect they show us on shift. I know it sounds silly, but this is real. 
We all judge women in medicine more than we should, whether we realize it or not. We treat them differently and have less tolerance and patience with them than we do with males. And for the ladies out there, um, this is our problem too. Studies show that we are not very good to each other. And the dynamic between female nurses, for example, and young female physicians, we could have a whole episode about that in and of itself. And maybe we will someday. But for now, the point is, we are all guilty of perpetuating the biases that we don't acknowledge and own and of leaving unnamed elephants free to just lounge in the middle of the room. So maybe, just maybe, this new year can serve as a chance for all of us to seize the opportunity to change this. Let's name the elephant, follow Lisa's advice, find a way to lean into the discomfort and acknowledge when the disparity is more obvious. Amplify and stand up for the women around you and be okay with being who you are instead of worrying what's wrong with us. There is nothing wrong with women in medicine. Think about your own life experiences. When was a time you treated somebody differently because they were female? When if she had been male, perhaps you might have been kinder, less irritated or judgy or more respectful? Or if not you, when have you witnessed gender bias in action? What's something you can do to better support the professional women in your life? And how will your script sound the next time you witness gender bias? Thank you to Lisa Mills for sharing her story with us, to the team at Vituity for their support of this podcast, to Marco Gonzalez, our sound engineer, and to all of you for listening. I'm Alicia, and this is Real Talk. Want to connect with the Real Talk podcast or record your story with us? Head to vituity.com slash realtalk for more information or email us at realtalk at v-i-t-u-i-t-y dot com.